It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. the show before the show podcast the 82nd episode of your favorite minor league baseball podcast from milb.com hi everyone i am tyler mon in scottsdale arizona and sam dykstra is in new york city hi sam hi tyler how are are things down in arizona how is the uh the sky the the cacti the it's all great the fall the league all of it it's all really great it's all really just Salt River Fields, a talking stick where I'm sitting currently. I think I'm in the Rockies radio booth right now. I'm in a radio booth um, is to me not exaggerating. It's like the most beautiful place on earth. Salt River Fields, a talking stick. If you have the opportunity to come to the Cactus League, do it and lead and close your trip with Salt River Fields. It is the most stunningly beautiful place that I've ever seen baseball played in. It's awesome. And uh, taking the field right this second, actually, the Salt River Raptors, who were taking on the Mesa Solar Sox, are recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Ordinarily, we record on Wednesdays, but today, recording on a Tuesday afternoon um, and getting things all all started. I'm at the AFL for just a couple of days and uh, got a chance to catch up with a whole bunch of prospects yesterday. You will hear from them here shortly. But before that, you can find the Show Before the Show podcast Thank you for finding us already. You can find us all over the place. We're on iTunes, we're on the Stitcher app, and we are at MILB.com slash podcast. If you do find us there, go ahead and be nice and friendly and give us a rating and a review and a subscription and all that good sort of stuff. And you can get in touch with the show, podcast at MILB.com. If you are so inclined, you can do that as well. And uh, that gets us started. Three strikes, Sam. Kick us off. Yeah, so actually, I'm I'm gonna throw it right back to you, Tyler, because you're you're the one at the Arizona Fall League right now. I know you've been going around uh, doing a bunch of interviews, uh, three of which we'll get to hear later today uh, on this very podcast. So I, I just kind of want to get your thoughts. I mean, you're, you're seeing these guys up close in a in a setting that is, you know, supposed to breed the best of the best and get these guys ready for the majors. Uh, so in in the games you've seen so far down there. Uh, who's sticking out to you? What's sticking out to you? What can you kind of report back? Yeah, one of the things that I love about the AFL, and uh, it it kind of changes every year. It seems like every year there's one thing that the players really like to talk about. And this year, what I've heard from a lot of players is the the idea of being competitive with the guys around you. I mean, there's always, yeah, we can we learn a lot from each other. We learn a lot from our teammates. But what I've heard from a lot of guys this year is, yeah, I remember facing this guy in this league, and now he's on this other team in the AFL, and I want to be able to go out and beat him. I want to be able to go out and strike that guy out. Like, there's a lot of that really healthy competitive fire down here, which I think is awesome about the AFL. It is... I mean, it's an all-star league. That's the neat thing about the Arizona Fall League is it's six teams that are comprised of all really, really good players. If you distilled some of the top talent in all of minor league baseball down and you plugged it onto rosters, you would have the Arizona Fall League. That's what stands out about this league. This year, what what really, to me, kind of hits home is the talent here is really good. The prospects are really good. But 
especially compared to 2015 and 2014, it kind of feels a little bit more businesslike. The last couple of years, it felt very, um, I don't want to say showy, but the the top level of prospect was so high. There was so much focus on so many of the guys who were here over the last couple of years. This year, maybe the ceilings of the very best guys aren't quite the same, but everybody across the board seems to be pretty level in terms of competition, which is really impressive because it makes for some really, really good games and some really entertaining matchups. But that's what I love about the AFL. And the guys who are here, the players who are here are so thrilled to be here that that's what's most infectious about it is they want to go out and compete against each other. They want to go out and compete against their teammates because this is a platform that you have that you don't ordinarily have throughout the course of a minor league season. The AFL is fun. The AFL is one of my very favorite things in in the world of baseball, minor league baseball. Yeah. And and in terms of what, what have you seen in terms of surprises, I guess? I mean, there's some of these guys that, you know, we follow all season, but then when you get to see them up close, uh, especially at the end of a long season can kind of surprise you a little bit, do some things maybe you didn't think they could do uh, until you get to see them more up close. Any of those guys yet? Yeah. I mean, yesterday I got a chance to hang around for the the matchup of the Dales. Glendale was on the road at Scottsdale and uh, there was a, a batting practice round that really stood out to me. And that was Mitch Walding of the Philadelphia Philly system. And Mitch Walding is, you know, a talented player, not a ranked prospect, but a guy who really, really seemed like, Maybe he's flown under some people's radars. Um, he's a little bit older for the league. He's 24 years old. He spent last season between Class A Advanced Clearwater and Double A Redding. And over that time, he slashed 269, 366, 429 with 13 homers. But he was destroying baseballs yesterday uh, in batting practice for Scottsdale. Um, Courtney Hawkins, who is a Chicago White Sox prospect, they're number 14, I believe, put on a pretty impressive round of BP as well. And Hawkins is a guy who took a little while to come around for the White Sox but has really shown a lot of promise. They drafted him as a, a power type of bat, and he showed very much during that BP round, and I think during this past season, that he still certainly has that capability. Um, so that really stood out to me. And also, just the way watching pitchers and catchers work from different organizations is something that really fascinates me too. Um, you know, right now, Jacob Nottingham is behind the plate catching Josh Taylor, Nottingham, a Brewers prospect, Taylor, a Diamondbacks prospect. That's one of the things that I really love about this is watching that type of dynamic develop uh, between two guys who are, you know, maybe never going to see each other again in their careers, depending on where they land, where they play down the road. Um, And that always carries its own set of surprises, which is neat. Um, But the AFL is just such an interesting mix of guys who, like I said, may never cross paths again, who are all of a sudden thrown into this, this mixer for six weeks, got to figure out how to work together, got to figure out how to play together. And in that there's this exchange of ideas, this exchange of techniques, um, you know, of game day preparation tactics of, of stuff that leads you into what it takes to be an elite level baseball player um, that you don't see anywhere else in the minor leagues. And that, you know, it's the, it's the melting pot of minor league baseball, which is really cool. And um, so all of that stuff sort of carries with it its own set of surprises its own set of uh you know new and different circumstances from day to day down here yeah i really like that you brought up that whole catcher pitcher dynamic i mean we tried to talk about that a couple weeks ago with taylor ward angels prospects who's down there uh and just the idea that you know some of these organizations they have the same signs going up and down these are guys you see in spring training whatever you can develop relationships with them uh, even if you know you're getting called up or moved around or somebody else is getting called up, all that kind of thing. But the fact that this happens over a two-month period, I mean, you, you're trying to show your best 
receiving. They're trying to show their best pitches, all that kind of stuff. That that dynamic just fascinates me. Uh, have you ever seen anybody kind of get crossed up in that way? I mean, how do they kind of overcome that, do you think? You know, I think the way that it, it asserts itself is in a pared-down type of language between there's not a whole lot of time for these catchers to learn these pitchers, especially. Um, so I think at the outset of the season, you kind of keep things as basic as possible. Um, and then as you get through the season, you tend to learn guys tendencies. The thing that's always amazed me about catchers is how quickly they pick all of that stuff up. I mean, that's why the, you know, the old adage is the catchers make the best managers because they're so intelligent, not just in the way you call a game, but you have to call a game for, you know, on your own staff, 12, 13 guys. And that's just during the regular season. During spring training, you're learning the names and the and the pitching arsenals and the styles of, you know, 40, 50, 60 different arms. Um, you know, if you get called up to major league camp, that's even more. So I don't think that the the learning curve in the AFL for catchers is quite as difficult as you might think it is. Um, if you just approach it from the standpoint of, yeah, Jacob Nottingham is probably never going to catch Josh Taylor again after this AFL season, but he's learned it at this time. Um, I think, you know, that's the way it, it goes for, for catchers and pitchers. You simplify things at the start, kind of learn each other, learn how that dance goes. And I would think by two or three outings in, you're pretty familiar with everybody, which really amazes me about the way these batteries come together. Yeah, and a lot of these guys, too, um, just kind of thinking over uh, how this kind of works in my head as well. Just, you know, a lot of these guys have played in summer leagues. They've played elsewhere. They know how that kind of works. Yeah. I mean, we, we sometimes get kind of in a rut of they've never done this before because right. they haven't done it in the minor leagues yet. Well, you know, they these guys have been playing baseball all their lives, uh, especially that catcher-pitcher relationship on both sides. You know, they've been working on that, you know, since they first put on the tools of ignorance or stepped on a mound. So, uh, yeah, but it's always fascinating how that kind of works when you're working with guys who are supposed to be equal level to you and not just, yeah, I can figure out this guy's 75 mile an hour. Right. No worries. And the other thing that's pretty interesting too, is just how many of these guys have come across each other before professional ball. I mean, guys who grew up playing together, guys who played together in high school, guys who played against each other in high school or in college. And, Baseball is a very big world when you think about the thousands of players that are employed across the country at various minor league levels and major league levels. But it's also a very small world in that, you know, I go down yesterday to talk to one of our guests for today's show. We'll preview those here momentarily. But Cody Bellinger, the top Dodgers prospect and Cody's mom and dad and sister and brother are there. Because Cody's from here. You know, Cody grew up in Scottsdale. So he's playing at Scottsdale Stadium last night. His family's only about an hour's drive away where they live now. Um, You know, that type of thing in baseball just seems to happen more often than you would think, where it's like, oh, yeah, this really is kind of a small world. Um, But that does segue us into uh, into our little guest list for today's show, which I'm really excited about. Got a chance to talk to three guys yesterday, and uh, it was uh, one of those days where things for the entire morning – Hadn't really gone according to schedule. And then all of a sudden, just everything fell in line perfectly. Nick Gordon is our first guest, the number two prospect in the Minnesota Twins organization, who was kind enough to take some time after his team's game on the road yesterday at Mesa. Uh, Nick Gordon, who comes into this week, uh, or comes into this offseason, I should say, as the number 47 overall prospect in all of minor league baseball, according to MLB.com, and is a member of the Surprise Saguaros roster. We talked with uh, Mauricio Dubon, who was also on 
that club. Of course, uh, was that last week? Was that just last week that we talked to Mauricio? That was just last week. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> so we're going we're going back to back surprise dips um, from the AFL. But we'll hear from Nick Gordon, who was the fifth overall selection in the 2014 draft. We'll talk to him. We will also talk, as I mentioned, with Cody Bellinger, who is now the top prospect in the Dodgers organization and MLB.com's number 31 overall prospect. We'll talk with Cody, who is a member of the Glendale Desert Dogs. Um, that team based at the Dodgers spring training facility in Glendale. They were on the road yesterday in Scottsdale. So I jetted from Mesa where I talked to Nick Gordon, headed over to, to Scottsdale, got a chance to talk to Cody after the game. And before the game, talked with New York Mets signee and former NFL quarterback Tim Tebow, who will also join the show today for a conversation. We'll hear from him. I uh, got a chance to talk to him during his media availability uh, after batting practice in Scottsdale. So we'll get a chance to hear from Tim Tebow about the way that the AFL season has been going for him so far as well. So those three guys coming up and we'll prep you uh, a little bit more in depth for those interviews as we get to them in our second segment. But uh, that's strike one strike two. Sam, we'll move along. Organization All-Stars, we continue rolling out a trio this past week since we last talked to you. The Detroit Tigers, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, and the Miami Marlins. Three systems really in some state of transition or some state of rebuild. So it isn't quite the same conversation that we would have with some of the other top systems in minor league baseball. It's not the Yankees right now. It's not you know the way the Cubs and the Astros have been. These systems are in transitional phases. When you look at them... Who stands out? What would you want to take from these systems if you had the option to? Yeah, so it, it's kind of funny just how these kind of rolled out. I mean, a lot of them are, I think we're going in alphabetical order here by city. So, you know, Los Angeles is going to be before Miami. That's just the way this kind of works. But, um, you know, with the Angels and Marlins coming out in the same week, you know, last year we did our own farm system rankings for the first time. And, these were teams that consistently were 29th and 30th in the you know major categories and then in the overall rankings. Uh, the Marlins ended up being 29th, and then I think the Angels were 30th. Uh, and at the time, it felt like the Angels were just even miles away from the Marlins. They're just not really much there. Uh, you know, now we've had a season kind of play it out, and I don't think these systems look as bad as they once did. I think Jemai Jones and the Angels system looks like a guy now. And I, and I mean that in like the capital sense, across yeah. the, uh, maybe not top 100, but he could certainly be a starting center fielder for a good team somewhere. Maybe that'll be the angels, uh, you know, that probably not in center field. If we're, if Mike Trout's going to still be sticking around by the tw- time Jemai Jones is up there, but uh, he's looking like a legit prospect. Uh, Taylor Ward, it's kind of interesting in the way you know some you hear some of the reports on him down in the fall league. Some people believe in his defensive skills, some don't necessarily. Uh, he still needs to improve with the bat, but he's another guy who you can kind of dream on at the very least. Matt Thighs, their first round pick this year, uh, 16th overall out of the University of Virginia, another guy who could be catching, but the Angels moved him very quickly to first base, just saying, listen, you know, your defense is a little bit of a worry for for us. Your bat is not. Ended up hitting 292, 361, 462 uh, with six homers and 43 RBIs and uh, drew 26 walks versus 32 strikeouts this year between Orem and Burlington. So it, I think it's an improving system. I, I wouldn't put it you know, anywhere close to an upper echelon, anywhere close to the upper half quite yet. 
but it's certainly improving. It's not um, the our- same level. The conversation that we had before the season was like, Whoa, what is there in the angel system? And yeah, now it seems like there are guys to at least have the conversation about. Right. For sure. And that's, I mean, that's what all you really want. If you're the angels, they haven't really gone through a rebuilding phase yet. Like some of these other teams, like the reds or Phillies where they're shipping off their major talent to try to pick up, uh, you know, minor league pieces, uh, you know, prospects that make a good farm system. I mean, if they were going to do that, you you have to trade somebody like Trout because a lot of these other guys, I think, on the Angels right now, they're just so burdened by heavy contracts that teams don't really want to take. I mean, you're not going to be able to trade in Albert Pujols uh, for, in that way uh, and get something back unless you eat a lot of the money, which I don't think, you know, the Angels are willing to do quite yet. And we had a conversation earlier on this summer. If you could design a trade for Mike Trout, does any single system have the talent it would take to land him? And I think we both landed on absolutely not, not even close. Right. Yeah, there there were some at the time that did. And I think since the trade deadline, that's actually changed. The, the prices this year at the trade deadline were so astronomically high. Uh, if you go back and listen to that podcast and <laughs> you think like, oh, yeah, they talked about the Red Sox. Well, maybe now the Red Sox don't have that uh, type of package. They tra- traded away Anderson Espinosa. Uh, you know, some of these other teams, maybe the Yankees are an actual team that can do it. But, you know, I, I still don't think they have all of the pieces. They don't have that really top, top talent that the Angels would want. Anyways, that's a conversation we can have again on another day. Angels at least trending up, still not quite there yet. Uh, Marlins kind of treading water, I would say. They didn't get worse. They didn't really get that much better. I think the reason they were 29th is they had a guy like Tyler Kolek coming into the year. Then he has his entire season wiped out because of Tommy John surgery. Uh, Another victim of a guy who just threw really, really hard, probably way too young. Um, So he doesn't become a top 100 prospect this year. Uh, Their standout is probably Luis Castillo. A uh, guy who had a 2.07 ERA this year at Class A Advanced Jupiter. Uh, ended up finishing out the year at Double A Jacksonville. Uh, he was kind of interesting because he was sent to the San Diego Padres in that deal involving Andrew Kashner and Colin Ree and Josh Naylor, amongst you know a couple other names, Jared Cozart. Uh, but it actually got sent back when it found, when you know the Marlins found out that Colin Ree had some problems of his own. It, uh, some injury problems of his own. So he's back in the Marlins system, looking a little bit more promising. I know a lot of people are, that are kind of super high on him. Uh, their top prospect is a guy who you know, hasn't even thrown a, a minor league inning yet in Braxton Garrett, the seventh overall pick this year. Uh, he's a little bit more to dream on, I think, than Kolek, because Kolek had so much control issue or so many control issues in his first full season. Garrett... He has, according to MLB.com, 55 control on the 2080 scale, so just a smidge above average. Uh, but he has more pitches, I think. He's got a fastball, he's got a plus curveball, and he's got a pretty good changeup. And then all coming from the left side. So I think 2017 is the year. Maybe we can see the Marlins make some gains there uh, in terms of their farm system. Certainly not getting worse. I would put them maybe on the same plane now as the Angels, or I wouldn't say that at the beginning of the year. Tigers, I think if you're going to talk about anybody in that system this year, uh, it's got to be Kristen Stewart. Just what he was able to do in the FSL uh, at Lakeland, you know, hitting 24 homers in 104 games might not sound that great in a vacuum. Anybody you talk to about playing in the Florida State League, it's incredibly difficult to get the ball out of the ballpark there. Uh, 
normally guys don't even hit above you know 18, 19 home runs. He led the league this year with 24. Um, showed a lot of problems in terms of making contact. He struck out 131 times in 128 games between there and Erie. And he, he's shown a little bit of a difficulty against upper uh, echelon pitching, whether it's at AA in the Eastern League or down south where you are right now, Tyler, in the Arizona Fall League. So I have to keep an eye on him going forward. Uh, I would really like Derek Hill to start hitting, to be honest. Uh, he hit 266 this year, only one homer. But he's got tons of speed, 35 stolen bases. Uh, can be a really, really good center fielder uh, with that speed. I, I know he's made a number of highlight catches this year. Still hasn't quite caught on offensively the way I would have hoped. Uh, so the Tigers, not exactly um, you know, upper echelon either, not top half system that much. I think they're only top 100 prospect is their first round pick from this year, Matt Manning, who got 10 starts in the Gulf Coast League. We'll have to see what he's able to do in more of a full season next year when he's 19. Uh, so he's kind of the next guy to dream on after Michael Fulmer graduated. But uh, yeah, between these three systems, it's funny, they all kind of come out at the same time because I wouldn't put e any of them really all that high. Uh, but, you know, they're at least trending up or holding steady. As we record this right now, Kristen Stewart is uh, standing out in left field, and to his left is one other guy in that system to keep an eye on, and that's Jacoby Jones, who was a draft or trade acquisition uh, from the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. He was a former third-round pick of the Pirates, made his major league debut this year. He's off to a really hot start in the AFL, batting 429 through his first eight games. That's the second-best mark uh, in the Arizona Fall League so far. And Jones, you know, an outfielder that can kind of play all over the place, combined between Double A Erie and Triple A Toledo this year, 99 games slash 257. 327 407 and like I said did make his major league debut played 13 games for the Tigers so another one to maybe keep an eye on but yeah those three systems all very similar right now and I don't you know I think that would come off as like oh these are three systems where there isn't much to talk about it doesn't really feel like that's the case it feels like I don't want to say they've bottomed out but I think they've leveled off and are on the trend back toward uh, being able to be contributors to their major league organizations especially you know I think the Tigers have sort of embraced the fact that maybe there is a rebuild in the very near future for them the Angels with the way that the the contracts has kind of eaten up the productivity at the major league level there I think it's very evident in the Angels system that they need to do more um, to contribute from the farm system ranks that being said I mean they've had some pretty solid contributors even from farm system classes that didn't seem like they were going to come with a lot of talent. The Angels have gotten some uh, some fairly good contributors out of those, uh, but the Marlins are the same way. And the Marlins, you know, a talented organization at the major league level right in the mix until the last week of the season for a playoff berth. Um, you know, an organization that's still reeling from the loss of Jose Fernandez, but there are some bright spots talent-wise in that system too. So they are three systems that I think have leveled off and are at least getting close to being uh, on the track toward climbing back to, um, you know, being a bit more of a role player in their organization's future and, uh, and the fortunes of their organizations. Yeah, I'll say this at the very least, um, with maybe the exception of the Tigers, because they had Michael Fulmer last year, who's obviously met or exceeded our expectations in his uh, potentially rookie of the year winning campaign this year for the Tigers. Uh, I think it's going to be more fun talking about the Marlins and the Angels this offseason than it was last year, because it was it was just straight up depressing trying to break down those systems and trying to preview them for this year. Um, you know, they they've done more this year to at least give us some reason for optimism, um, whether it's through the draft or just straight improvement at the minor league levels. 
uh, and we'll see how they kind of build on that. But we won't be able to do that, obviously, for a couple more months. But at, while we're just sitting here waiting to, for the 2017 season to start, I know it's funny to talk about it in that way. But, uh, yeah, one, at least it'll be more fun to think about than uh, the depression that I think was the last offseason. I don't think I'll have to walk into Mike LaCasse's office in Tempe this next spring and say, so everybody thinks your system is garbage. What <laughs> what say you to that? Um, yeah. No, I think there are brighter days ahead for Angels fans, which is a good thing. When the Angels are good, it's a good thing for baseball. Um, strike three this week, Sam. Uh, the World Series starts tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday, as noted. And, uh, yeah, there's a, a little engagement in Cleveland that will be starting in just hours. And we're not going to talk about the, the Major League side of things, although there was a connection between what's going on tonight in Cleveland and what was happening here in the AFL just you know, 24 hours ago, Kyle Schwarber is in the lineup to start for the Cubs as the designated hitter in game one of the World Series. He was playing at Mesa yesterday, played on Saturday as well, tore his ACL obviously back in April uh, and has made his way back. So a former top prospect or a ranked prospect in the Cubs organization working his way back from an injury. And uh, it's pretty cool to see, but um not a prospect anymore. So keeping in mind just prospects, keeping in mind just the minor league side, if you had an organization that could take one of these systems. If you were going to start an organization and you could take one of these minor league systems, the Cubs system or the Indian system, as of the talent there right now, a starter set for your club, who you taking? Yeah. So th- this was a, this would have been made for like a fun debate. I think at the middle of the year, it definitely would have made for an easy debate at the beginning of the year, uh, just because we've been talking so much in recent years and you can see it now at the major league level, just how loaded the Cubs system is. The problem with having a loaded system is that you're going to graduate these guys at a certain point. So, you know, Addison Russell, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, uh, Wilson Contreras, C.J. Edwards, um, you know, even Anthony Rizzo a couple of years ago. All of these guys graduated from the Cubs farm system, not necessarily all homegrown, but all had some roots in the Cubs farm system and are now major key players on a, a really, really, really good Cubs team. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what is the farm system right now. Now, then again, you know, this Indian system was a lot more fun about a couple of months ago. And then we they had their trades of their own, sending Clint Frazier, uh, Justice Sheffield to the to the Yankees, you know, some other stuff. So, you know, as it stands right now, which which of these two would I prefer? You know, I really like the way the Cubs develop talent. I really, really like Eloy Jimenez. Um, I think Dylan sees it. Is a I just love his fastball. I, I would love to see what happens when he's fully healthy and can play a full season. Uh, you know, at starting next year when he's 21. But I think if I was to pick one, I I think it's the Indians, just because I really like everybody in the Indian system, like one through ten. Um, any of them I would be happy to have in in my farm system. Uh, Bradley Zimmer, Brady Aiken, Bobby Bradley, Francisco Mejia, Tristan McKenzie, Nolan Jones, a draft pick from this year, Will Benson, a draft pick from this year, uh, Eric Gonzalez, who has already played in the majors, Yu Cheng Chang, who's down there you know, with you in the Arizona Fall League, Yandy Diaz. I mean, all of these guys, and there are others that I haven't even mentioned yet, uh, Sean Marmondo, Adam Pluko. All of these guys, I think, just have something that makes them stand out or just a really good collection of tools as a whole package. Uh, you know, the Cubs, I think there are just more question marks, uh, specifically when it comes to pitching. You know, some of these guys, you know, I, I like. I mentioned Cease, uh, Dwayne Underwood. I think is a guy who's kind of on the the way down. Uh, Trevor Clifton, 
isn't necessarily a guy I would have thought of before this year, but pitched fairly well at the Class A advanced level uh, at 21 years old. But, you know, I, I think Bradley Zimmer could be a major league outfielder. I think Bobby Bradley has enough power that he could play into a, a first baseman's job. I really like Francisco Mejia now that he's rounded out his game. Uh, Tristan McKenzie is one has a chance to be one of my favorite pitchers uh, for the 2017 se- uh, season. Brady Aiken is a guy who was a former number one overall pick. Uh, Chang is a, has a chance to be really good, I think, defensively. He does some other stuff really well. So if we're just looking at, you know, what do you want, I think the Indians to have just generally more pieces that would get you excited than the Cubs do right now. If we're talking about general future, I'm buying stock in the uh, in the Cubs, you know, hard and fast because of that young talent they have at the major league level. But that's not the question here. It's, you know, what are, what about the farm system? And I, I lean towards the Indians on that one. What about for you, Tyler? Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. I mean, like you said, if this is a conversation uh, six months ago or a year ago, I think I probably feel a little bit differently. But because the Cubs have been, you know, in this conversation, the Cubs lose out because they've been so good at getting that talent to the major leagues. The the highest ceiling talent in that Cubs organization is already making an impact at the major league level. And that's not to say that that system is by any stretch barren or that it's down. Um, maybe it's down compared to what it was this time last year, this time two years ago, just because that's how good that system really was. But as of right now, it just feels like the depth is more there in the Indian system um, and the the upper echelon of prospects in the Indian system feels a little bit higher than what it does in the Cubs system right now. Like you said, one through 10, you can find something to get really excited about with virtually everybody in that Indian system. Then you look even at the back end of the top 30, a guy who made maybe the biggest headlines outside of Andrew Miller for the Indians in the American League Championship Series is Ryan Merritt. He's the number 29 prospect in that system. So, you know, and it's not to say that, oh, well, one performance in the postseason at the major league level belies some future Hall of Fame career for Ryan Merritt, but that's what I mean by depth. I think the the level of prospect the the caliber of prospect is just a nose better in the indian system so i think i would take them as well yeah it's always always good podcasting uh content when we agree when we agree that just means (laughs) we have good chemistry right we're just mixing really well remind me uh no i'm glad you brought up merit though because that that pitching performance just befuddles me uh to no end the fact shaking in his boots right he was shaking in his boots um what was his top fastball like 88 miles an hour yeah i think it was 88 in this age of velocity, when we're talking about, you know, 95 is right. the kind of becoming more and more average. Uh, that was just kind of awesome to see. I get more excited when guys with less average stuff, but it can really hit their mark, uh, do well than a guy who's going to throw, you know, 100 miles an hour, but it can't find the strike zone. Hit your spots. Hit your spots. Young baseball players listening to this show hit your spots and that's almost as effective as anything else you can possibly do. Um, That will do it for this week's edition of three strikes, a programming note before we get into this week's interviews. We're not going to see you for a couple of weeks. Sam and I are both uh, jetting out of the uh, well, out of the office for Sam because he's a normal grown adult who works in an office, and I work from home like a weirdo. Um, but Sam's headed out of town. What, what? Give the people a little, a little update on you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going back to my ancestral home of the Netherlands. Very I'm taking cool. a vacation. Um, so uh, that should be a lot of fun. I'm flying into Amsterdam uh, Saturday. I'm going to where my family is from in, in Friesland and I've got a day trip to Bruges and a whole bunch of other stuff planned that should be a lot of fun including a big Ajax soccer game so 
yeah, it, it'll be a lot of fun. I haven't had a vacation in a, in a little bit, and uh, it'll be a good place to get away, I think. Uh, Amsterdam in the fall is supposed to be fantastic. So. That'd be really cool. One of, uh, I don't know anything about Bruges outside of seeing the movie in Bruges and ever oh, since Oh, no, that's I totally why that. I'm going. I want to yeah. go just because of that. Right. That's no, awesome. I'm totally going there. Um, not for any espionage or any <laughs> gunfights at all. Of course not. No, that's not why I fall out of a bell tower while you're there. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they have railings now. Yeah, that's true. It's, it, the movie highlighted the need for railings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Bruges uh, bell towers. Um, I am also headed out of the country. I'm headed to Mexico actually tomorrow. Um, we're, like I said, we're recording on Tuesday. I'm headed there tomorrow for the uh, WBSC, the World Baseball Softball Confederation's under 23 baseball world cup 12 countries competing in that there is no united states team there is no canadian team uh but there are a ton of talented rosters a ton of really talented players ranked prospects all that kind of stuff i'll be doing some broadcasts for those games uh in monterey and in saltillo i'll actually be there for um just about 10 days I believe 10 or 12 days. Um, the championship, the gold medal game will be on November 6th, the Sunday. And uh, those games will be streamed on YouTube. You can catch those. I'll tweet them out and all that kind of stuff. If you're aching for some baseball during the off hours where there is no AFL and after the World Series, I have you covered for that. So, yeah, Sam and I will both be gone. So, basically, that's a long way of telling you no episode next week. So, uh, we're packing it full of all kinds of goodies this week. Coming up after the break, we're going to have Nick Gordon. We're going to have Cody Bellinger. We're going to have Tim Tebow. No episode next week. We will return the following week, which will be all kinds of uh, crazy baseball news. By that point, we'll have a World Series champion. We'll have uh, an AFL update. Um, actually, that'll be after the Rising Stars game, so we'll get a chance to talk to you about that. Uh, the best town in the Arizona Fall League going at it in the uh, the annual All-Star Clash down here at Salt River Fields, a talking stick. But we'll miss you guys for a week. I think this is our first non-holiday week off. Yeah, and this is definitely <laughs> us. It's not you. Yeah. It's important you know that. It's not you. In the you know in, in the tradition set forth by Tom Hanks last week as America's father on SNL, um, <laughs> it's important that you know this. It is not your fault. This is completely on us. It's just on us. We're just going away for a little while. We'll Sam be right and I back. I still love you very much. Yes. Just yes. the decisions that we're making personally doesn't mean that we feel any differently about you. No, <laughs> no, not at all. We're just each leaving the country. Um, okay, that's a good. Took a strangely deep turn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, we're going to close out three strikes that are one foul ball from this week's edition of the show before the show and send you into our AFL podcast spectacular. Coming up after the break, Nick Gordon, Cody Bellinger, Tim Tebow, all from the Arizona Fall League next. excited for this week's little collection of interviews we got this was a fun week to to put this show together sam and i are bouncing ideas off of each other of guys to try to talk to and you know some conversations to try to have while i was going to be down here for the afl and things we wanted to discuss with the arizona fall league but uh the afl is just you know like we were talking about the first segment it's just one of the funnest things on the the baseball calendar um so it's provided us a chance to get uh, a variety of voices for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast let's get started right into it with the uh second ranked prospect in the minnesota Twins organization, Nick Gordon, who is the number 47 overall prospect in baseball, according to MLB.com. Fifth overall pick in 2014. Nick just completed his third professional season, his second in full season ball. This past year, 2016, with Class A advanced Fort Myers, 116 games. He slashed 291, 335, 386, 134 hits in those 116 games, 19 stolen bases. 
He's a very polished player, a high school kid, but a very polished player. That's what I think the Twins really love about Nick Gordon. Um, and, you know, a very engaging presence, an easy guy to talk to, obviously a really bright kid, and got a chance to talk to him. Some warning uh, for this interview. If you hate the song Happy by Pharrell, you will hate this interview. Likewise, later when we talk with Tim Tebow, if you hate Taylor Swift, you'll hate that interview because it was blasting over the speakers uh, behind us. So just fair warning, if you hate the song Happy like some of us do, uh, you might not like this interview. But Nick Gordon got a chance to ask him, uh, leading off this interview, how he felt like his adjustment had gone to the Arizona Fall League and how the AFL was going so far. I like they're going good. You know, uh, you get to play against some of the best competition, so that's always a great thing. You know, whether you're struggling or not, you get to see where you're at, you know, and it's a great thing, you know, to come out here and compete against these guys every single day. I'm having a blast, so... It's kind of one of the things that everybody talks about is you get to measure yourself against guys who are, you know, your contemporaries but are the best in minor league baseball. For you, I mean, a guy who's been young pretty much at every level where you've played, you're young here, but you're handling it well. I mean, how do you feel like the adjustment level-wise or or talent level-wise has been for you? Uh, You know, here is the best of the best. So, you know, uh, playing in high A, you face some really great guys. You face really good guys throughout pro ball no matter where you are. You know, but here is the best of the best, and day in and day out, you're going to see everyone's number one. So, you know, to be able to come out here and handle my own and do things like that, you know, consistency is a big thing for me. So to be able to do that, you know, it definitely is something that I really work on and take pride in. So, What is it like, you know, like you said, you get everybody's number one every day, and you get a lot of arms that I would imagine you're not familiar with seeing. I mean, guys who have been playing at different levels and in different leagues, to know that more often than not you're going to go in and out of four at-bats, you might be facing three or even all four guys you haven't seen before. How do you make sure that, you know, you've got a, a plan and you've got the ability to go up kind of knowing what you're looking for? Uh, you don't. You know, you never really know what you're going to get. Some guys throw different pitches for strikes, you know, and uh, one thing you got to do is, is come here to hit you know and you can't get here or come here looking to fall behind and you know and waiting out pitches you know if you're sitting on the pitch then that's a good thing you sit on that pitch but you can't miss it you know but for me you know I go up and I just look to be aggressive you know look for something in a zone in a, in a, a certain spot you know and uh, stick with my plan and do it what I came to do so this roster is really talented for you guys in the in surprise and you get to you know play alongside Dubon and Makata and O'Hearn and all those guys in the infield what's that been like to be in a mix with you know obviously a lot of talented twins guys too but a lot of guys who you haven't played with before tonight you get a chance to learn from and Man, be around it's great it's great you know you get to play against guys or play with guys like that you get to learn a lot from them because you're there with them day in and day out you know and to watch Mankata throw across the infield and take batting practice to watch Dubon the way his feet move in the infield and, and the way O can swing the bat you know it's it's a great thing to be able to practice with those guys and see how those guys prepare themselves every single day. So. Couple more for you. I get you out of here. I know you get this question a lot, but having your brother's experience, having your dad's experience, when you get a, a big time opportunity like this, what does that do for you? You know, confidence wise and just kind of knowledge wise to know what to expect in a situation like this, having been around guys, you know, your entire life who've been through stuff like this before. Uh, you know, it's. I would say it's definitely a little bit of an edge, you know, to be able to know that what you're about to go through, things like that, you know, and to know that there's going to be struggles and there's going to be times that you have to make adjustments, you know, and it's not every single day, it's every pitch, you know, and uh, to be able to just come out and to see the stuff that my dad and my brother tell me and to see it actually happen, you know, it definitely humbles you and, and, and you know that that's things that they've been through, so you listen, you know, and you take everything in that they tell me or that they tell me, I take it in and I just 
I appreciate it, you know, because be able to have my dad and my brother to sit and talk to me and tell me things, you know, it, it's definitely a blessing for me. So. All right, man, last thing for you. Um, you know, when you uh, you get drafted, you go to E-Town, then all of a sudden you're in full season ball and your second year in pro ball, and then this past year, really good season with Ford Myers. I mean, to, to make the climbs you've already made at this age, and now to get to something like the AFL, what do you put forth for yourself as, you know, something that you want to grow with, something you want to work on, something you want to develop in the AFL, given what you've already accomplished? You know, being young, a lot of guys who are young don't aren't really as consistent, you know, as the older guys and the veterans, and that's why they're veterans, you know, and that's something that I, I really work on, you know, day in and day out, no matter what I'm doing, taking ground balls, hitting, I want to be consistent. I want to always get into that groove, you know, even if I'm throwing across the infield or punting, you always want to get into that groove and stay consistent. So, you know, definitely watching guys like that and, and, and big leaguers and veterans, you know, that's, that's what makes them stick out, and that's what makes them big leaguers and, and superstars, you know, and that's something that I have to be able to get. And, you know, I, I definitely feel playing at every level that I played at, you know, and, and going through them and getting better. Consistency is something that I've been getting better at and something that I'm still working on. So, Good stuff, Nick. Congrats on all yes, success sir. and best thank of luck. You. Yes, sir. Thank all right, that was Nick Gordon of the Twins, and I think that also counts for Pharrell being on the podcast. Yeah, I think Pharrell made an appearance on the podcast, too. Yeah, I think I think we have to put that in the description now just to get that SEO up. Um, but, no, it was pretty cool to hear him talk a little bit about, you know, his brother, obviously, and uh, playing both – playing under their dad, you know, Tom and D. I remember uh, I went to spring training this year. He was my the guy I interviewed at Twins Camp in Fort Myers, and he shared with me a story about in the winter uh, how he had raced D a, a couple of times. I mean, your big brother, younger brother, you're going to be running. You're all, all athletes. They were all working out together, whatever. And he said he had beat D once, uh, which if you've ever seen D Gordon run, you know, yeah. you, know you would think would just be impossible. Right. Uh, and then he, he got a laugh out of it. He, I think he joked with his brother about it. It hasn't happened since, at least up until that point. I imagine, you know, D's with the Marlins, Nick's with the, the Twins. I don't think they really raced that much th this season, but I have a feeling that's not going to ever happen again. Yeah, and, you know, being the little brother, being beating the big brother is always like a feather in your cap. I feel like for Nick Gordon and everything that he's accomplished, it really says a lot that the one time he beat his older brother in a race is like a lifetime highlight. Yeah, Especially when sure. your older brother is D. Gordon. It just seems like I would just – if Nick Gordon makes the Hall of Fame someday, you should just say like Nick Gordon, long-time career with the Twins, did this, also beat brother D. once in a foot race. <laughs> that would definitely be on his – well, that's the thing that we always have to – differentiate between these guys right it's you know they may be brothers they may play similar positions middle infield whatever but they are different players i mean d is significantly yeah. faster than nick nick is not you know exactly a barn burner even for a shortstop he's a really good defender has you know that really good agility to, to make that work uh but this is not a guy who's going to be stealing you know 50 bases at any level, never mind the majors. By the way, uh, D and Nick, their father, Tom Gordon, you may know as Flash, 21 years in the major leagues for Flash Gordon, 158 career saves of his 890 games pitched. He pitched all but 203 of those in relief. However, Tom Gordon in his career also pitched 18 complete games. Can you believe that? No, I can't. That's crazy sure. to me. From And they all came from 1989 through 1997. In 1990, he pitched six complete games. Just kind of blew my mind. A fact about Tom Gordon that I did not know. Dun, 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 dun. Well, you, you do know the, the most important Tom Gordon fact. I don't. I think, I could be wrong, He I think he's the only baseball player in history to have a Stephen King book named after him. Ah, that's probably true. 
which is a it's a very good book. I I do recommend it for anybody just looking for a summer read or a winter read when it gets cold and you need to curl up by the fire. But Depending yeah, which hemisphere you're in? The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon by Stephen King. Huh. Soon one day, The Girl Who Loved Nick Gordon, the sequel to The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon by Stephen King. Um, later on. On, uh, on Monday afternoon, I moved across from Mesa to Scottsdale Stadium, the home of the Scottsdale Scorpions, the spring training home of the San Francisco Giants. Last year, that was the site of the championship game of the Arizona Fall League, in which Scottsdale took home the 2015 league crown. They had the actual AFL champion flag hanging on the wall in center field yesterday during batting practice. Um, and you know what? I didn't think to look and see if it was there during the game. I wonder if they just leave it up during the game. I don't know. <laughs> Not important. Uh, but got a chance to catch up with the top prospect in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, Cody Bellinger. Bellinger moved up to the number 31 overall ranking on MLB.com's top 100 prospects list and all of minor league baseball. And uh, really, I think the thing with Cody Bellinger was people saw him blow up in Rancho Cucamonga in 2015, and they thought, yeah, very good. He's in the California League. Can he keep it going? And in 2016, he really did. 114 games with Double A Tulsa, slash 263, 359, 484. 23 homers 30 homers in the california league in 2015 continued the development of that power this year in double a drove in 65 runs he also played three games at triple a oklahoma city we'll talk about that a little bit here uh in this conversation but the the thing with cody bellinger was in his first two pro seasons he hit four combined homers now he's got 53 over his last two seasons and i got things started with cody bellinger noticing him talk to his family remembering that he was a scottsdale native by asking him how far away he was from home playing yesterday at scottsdale stadium about an hour that's awesome. Uh-huh. That's awesome. So it's always nice. You know? What's that I'm, like? I mean, being this close and being able to have them here and stuff, that's got to be really Yeah, it's cool. weird. I remember playing high school games on these fields, like during the playoffs and stuff. So, you know, it's always, you know, it brings back good memories. And it's always nice having my mom and dad and sister come out and my brother. And, you know, it's just uh, it's been, been a good time. So tell me about what the experience has been like so far. I mean, obviously uh, another good year for you. But to get down here and, you know, be in this competition level, be around guys, you know, measuring yourself against kind of the best of, uh, of your generation right now, what's this been like for you? Yeah. It's been fun. Uh, we have a good team. We have a good staff, and you know it makes it fun on us. It makes it laid back, and it's easy. And uh, you know it's good competing within those lines against you know the best pitchers, mainly from their organizations. You know, and uh, everybody's got good stuff. So you just got to come out and just try and stick to your approach. What you did in Rancho a couple of years ago, obviously, was you know that breakout year that everybody kind of dreams of having. But you really kept a lot of that going this year. What was the the key to that consistency? Being able to replicate that at a higher level, a difficult jump, being able to do it all over again. Yeah. Uh, you know, baseball game adjustments, and you know what I did in Rancho. I kind of, you know, worked into uh, what I did at Tulsa. You know, I switched up my hands a bit, a little more, and just to keep creating a consistent path. And uh, you know, I just, you know, naturally as I get older, you know, weight's coming on, and the balls are fur- carrying further than they used to. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's just been a fun ride, and I'm excited for the uh, for the future of it. So many people talked about, you know, your first couple of seasons, the power numbers, waiting for those to come around, and then just to blow up over the last couple of years. Is it? Do you think it's it's something that's just kind of, you know, like you said, your body matures, you kind of start feeling confident in your swing, confident in yourself as a hitter. Were you worried about that at all your first couple of seasons? And now to see that, how validating does that feel? Uh, I always knew I had the power. Even in high school, you know, I didn't hit for power, but I always had it, you know, in BP, and it was just a matter of time before, like you said, my body grows into my into my frame. and. You know, I'm still growing every day, and like I said, I wasn't too worried about it. I was 17 when I first signed, and, you know, the game was kind of fast for me, and it, you know, kind of naturally slows down over time, so. 
you got a little bit of experience at AAA this year. Mm-hmm. What was that like? I mean, it's only a handful of games and obviously a, a lot more to come, uh, you know, unless you make the, the big jump yeah. and, and skip over it entirely. But what was that like just to get a chance to see, you know, the arms at AAA, the ability of guys at AAA, and kind of that, that last level before making that big jump? Yeah, it was cool. Um, you know, it was nice being around older guys that have been around the game and that have been in the big leagues before and how they prep for their work and uh, mentally and physically. And we had a good staff up there with Hasselman. I played with him in Rancho. And so, you know, I kind of felt like home up there. They made me feel like home. And, you know, it's you know, baseball is baseball. The pitchers have more experience, so you just got to study them more and uh, just kind of do yourself. When you get down here, you know, uh, the the schedule is a little bit more laid back. I mean, you guys get a day off every week, all that kind of stuff. But obviously, there's stuff to work on. There's always stuff to work on. What are some of the, the goals that you set for yourself? What are some of the things the Dodgers talk to you about? I mean, what's the, the plan, really, when you get to mid-November into the offseason, when you want to look back on 2016 the AFL? What will stick out? Yeah, you know, I just came here. I missed a month of the year. Um, and I think the biggest thing was for me is just get more consistent at-bats against good pitching. And, you know, for me, I just want to keep working on my plate discipline. Um, I kind of worked on that this year, lowering my strikeouts, and that was kind of a well maintain my power, and that was kind of a big thing for me. And you know, actually, like I said, I want to keep you know working on my eye at the plate and knowing what I can hit and what I can't hit, and just doing damage with it. One of the things that's kind of cool for us to talk to you guys about is the amount of different guys that you get to play with and play against to, you know, maybe you haven't seen at this point in your career, maybe you have and you wanted to learn a little bit more about them, guys from different organizations, that kind of stuff. And I guess not just players, but coaches too. I mean, you get to be on staff with a bunch of guys who you haven't been around before. Who have been some of the, the people that have stuck out to you so far? I mean, I think, you know, I played against the Cardinals all year um, in the Texas League, and so, you know, it's kind of friendly competition. And obviously, you know, the guys I played with all year, Verdugo and Calhoun, we kind of have friendly competitions. And, uh, you know, it's all for the better. You know, you're, you're, you're talking smack to the other guys, you know, but you're on the same team right now. So it's just, uh, it's just a great time. What does it do for you being able to, you know, kind of learn from other guys just sort of what they're uh, – and I know everybody's walking off the field, so I'll get you out of here. But kind of how other organizations do things. You can pick up, you know, little pieces here and there about maybe something that goes into your routine that helps you out a little bit down the road. Has there been any of that? Uh, you know, not really. Um, I mean, you see how other organizations do things, how the Dodgers do things, and, you know, it's just it's all preference. But, you know, not not really for that, yeah. All right, man, last thing for you. Look towards 2017, if it's OKC, if it's that last jump. I mean, obviously, more than any organization this year, you guys saw just what can happen in the major league level yeah. with injuries and whatever. What's the, what's the aim for you for 2017? When you look ahead and knowing how close you are, how do you look at next year? Yeah, you know, once the AFL ends, I'm going to do the same thing I did last year and get my body right. And, you know, everything else is out of my control. I'm going to come in, you know, mentally and physically prepared for it and to show that I'm ready for it. And, uh, you know, like I said, but it's out of my control. I'm going to go out there in, in spring training and show them what I can do, you know, and show them that I'm ready. And uh, it should be fun. And, again, that was Cody Bellinger uh, with the Dodgers down there in the Arizona Paul League talking with Tyler. Uh, kind of interesting thing with Bellinger. He has become, obviously, the Dodgers' top prospect. Uh, a lot of that just kind of the way, you know, the Dodgers have been able to churn through talent right now. Um, you know, he's the top prospect in that system. According to MLB.com, they've got Jose De Leon second. They've got his Tulsa teammate Alex Verdugo third and his other Tulsa teammate Willie Calhoun at four, Yadier Alvarez at five. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if a year from now, you know, maybe Bellinger's in the, the majors or – but any five of those could be the best talent in that system a year from now. Um, De Leon has a chance to graduate. Um, you know, Yadier Alvarez is obviously still, obviously still young, only played at Class A Great Lakes. Um, but you know, even after the 
um, graduation of so much talent in that system to, between Urias and you know Peterson in recent years and a, a couple other guys. Uh, you know this this system remains one of the the really really good ones. Uh, compare that to what we were talking about earlier with the Tigers and the the Angels and the uh, Marlins. I mean. Bellinger at the top leading the charge here. I think this is remains a strong Dodger system. So big thanks to Cody Bellinger. By the way, you can follow Nick Gordon on Twitter. He is at Flash G the third, and Cody Bellinger is at Cody underscore Bellinger. And that leads us into our final interview of episode number eighty-two of the show before the show podcast. We're going to do this one a little bit differently than the other two. And it is Tim Tebow, the New York Mets signee, the former National Football League quarterback, the 2007 Heisman Trophy winner who is now playing baseball, was in uh, left field yesterday for the Scottsdale Scorpions. Uh, We heard your cries, and yes, we got Tim Tebow on the podcast. The reason this is different is uh, Tim Tebow doesn't really grant one-on-one interviews, so he does a media talk day every week in which he meets with uh, assembled reporters. Yesterday, there were only three of us, but I have a phobia of using group audio and playing answers to questions I don't ask I feel like they should be kind of the intellectual property of the person who asked them so I'm not going to play the the questions and answers of other people's uh, questions because I don't want to steal their thunder so the questions that I got a chance to ask Tim Tebow we're going to split this up into three segments which were kind of our our um snippets of the conversation just me and him talking uh but uh, has gotten started in the AFL on kind of a rough note um and we knew that it wasn't going to be easy obviously this is a, a very difficult transition for any player to make much less a player who hasn't played professional baseball before and hasn't played baseball in any sort of competitive setting since he was in high school through his first seven games Tebow is batting 083 he's two for 24 with eight strikeouts so far he's slash line uh that includes a 150 54 on base percentage and an 083 slugging percentage. Both of his hits have been single so far. He has walked a couple of times, uh, but it's been a rough go, you know, as you would kind of assume it was going to be, because this is a very difficult level to adjust for anybody. Uh, but I got a chance to get things started with Tim Tebow, the Mets signee, by asking him yesterday, now that it's two weeks in and sort of the initial furor has died down, uh, you know, there's no longer an ESPN reporter following him around. There aren't 15, 20 reporters at every game so far. Like I said, yesterday there were only three of us. I said, how do things feel different now that things have begun to at least get settled down over the first couple of weeks that he's been in the AFL? I don't know that it's still all settling down. I still think they're still getting used to certain things because it's just, you know, being gone on the weekends and still figuring, you know, still only played six games now. So I still think it's, it's still a process. It's not like, oh, I'm so used to the whole routine and everything, you know, still figuring out what I like to do when and my routine. You know, I, I get the team's routine now, but then you have to have your own process within that, and I think that's where probably I'm at now. What kind of challenges come along with traveling, being away a few days every week? I mean, obviously, seeing live pitching and all that kind of stuff, do you feel like it? some of that goes away when you're gone for a few days, or do you get back in pretty quick? Um, I think there's, you know, probably being rested is a benefit, but then, you know, I, I obviously play, but you also wouldn't be, you know, playing all those games anyways, you know, so. The the reason behind Tim Tebow, the, the explanation that he gave there where he said he's only played in six games or so over his first couple of weeks, uh, if you hadn't heard, which... I would imagine if you're listening to the podcast, you probably have, but um, Tebow is still working a college football analyst job at ESPN, so he's not here on the weekends. He's here the first parts of the week. Um, he gets his work in. He's actually been starting more days than not when he's been here. He played on October 11th, 12th, and 13th, got starts on those days. 17th, 18th, 19th, got starts on those days. Started yesterday, and I believe he's in the lineup today once again for Scottsdale. Um, so that's the reason why he made the comment in there that he's, you know, 
been a couple weeks, but he's only been here really for six, seven games so far, um, which I think, you know, Sam and I have had this discussion. I think that uh, you're not doing yourself any favors of getting the workload, getting the the ability to adapt to seeing pitching on a daily basis if four days of your week you're not doing that. So I think that's making it an even more challenging mode of adaptation to this league because, yeah, he's here for three days a week. And, you know, I mean, last week he had hits in each of his final two games. Then he's gone for four days. And in baseball, the skill set, especially when you're somebody who's trying to make up for 10 years of not seeing live pitching, and now you're seeing some of the best in all minor league baseball, that's a hindrance, you know? Right, and and so many guys we talk to talk about getting into the rhythm of the game and getting into the rhythm of the season and the rhythm of the week and all that kind of stuff. And his rhythm is just different than everybody else's right now because, you know, these other obligations, which, you know, the Mets knew what they were getting themselves into when they agreed to that. You know, reportedly, other organizations didn't want to allow him to do that. He had a contract, you know, with... ESPN, the SEC network, what have you. So he wasn't willing to break it. That's fine. I mean, that's the way it is. But, um, you know, that's sometimes you, you can't be surprised when you don't get into that rhythm that everybody says is so important. So we continued our conversation. Yesterday, there were a bunch of Mets uh, coaches and personnel in town. Um, among them, Mets Major League hitting coach Kevin Long and Mets Major League first base coach, coach Tom Goodwin. Uh, also in town, Benny DiStefano, who is the fielding coordinator in the Mets organization. Um, that was one of the things I really wanted to talk to Tebow about was what the learning curve has been like for him as a baseball player. Because for me, the, the conversation is – on the one hand, is it a publicity stunt? Is he really into it? And on the other hand, what are the Mets' motivations? Is this a money thing? But in the middle, there is a baseball conversation that has to be had, and those were the questions that I really wanted to ask him about from the developmental standpoint, from the, the baseball operations standpoint, because when Kevin Long or Tom Goodwin or Benny DiStefano goes to work with Tim Tebow, they're not thinking about ticket sales or selling jerseys or whatever. They're thinking – how do we make this swing more fluid? How do we get him to take more efficient routes to fly balls? And so I asked him how that had worked and how he felt like since that very first video was tweeted out of him swinging in the batting cage and he got his very first working in the AFL, how he feels like his vision of himself as a ball player, as a hitter, and as an outfielder jibes with that of the organization right now. Uh, I feel like it's, it's well, you know, working with Benny in the outfield and Kevin at the plate. And um, I mean, I, you know, I love it. I love what they've been teaching. I mean, you know, Kevin's he's, he's good at what he does. So I, I try to just be super open and listen and yeah. What's the learning curve for, I mean, every day you go against guys that you haven't seen before. So, I mean, the arsenals of, of somebody that comes in, you know, you're facing a starter in the first inning, somebody you see in the seventh, it's going to be entirely different. How do you, you know, timing wise and, and being able, pitch recognition, that kind of stuff, how do you work on that? Um, one through reps, two through, I mean, obviously several things that you, you, your rhythm, you're getting your foot down, all those little things, you know, all the things that we're working at, you know, so it's just all your fundamentals, you got to just take them to the plate and then get reps at it, you know. Let me ask you this, physically, build-wise, you know, to play in the NFL and to play baseball is so different, just the, you know, the type of muscle mass that you need and the... The quick twitch stuff is obviously going to be way different. Do you alter, you know, what workouts you're doing, the way that you try to build yourself up physically, or how does that, you I know, kind you, of transpire? You alter some things as far as different training patterns because you're training for different muscles to, um, 
to have muscle endurance or muscle explosion for less time or you know different ways but I think overall as far as um, training I'll still continue to train and you know try to keep that as something that um, you know, want to be in the best shape as possible strongest you can be all of that too two two-part question have you had a moment where you know maybe on a strikeout or something you just saw something dirty from somebody and thought Oof, this is, is going to be tough and on the flip side of that what's been your moment so far where you thought no I, I know I can do this you think um, I mean <laughs> the second guy that I faced in instructionals was on the first day was throwing 99 <laughs> so that was a, you know that was my second at bat and uh, so that was that was a fun way to get used to it. Um, and then it faced one good uh, lefty here who threw a slider like probably at my back knee, and it, and uh, and obviously landed at my or front knee, but hit my back foot. That was a good pitch. Um, but I honestly feel like I get more and more comfortable every bat, whether it's it's good or bad or the result. I feel more and more comfortable just seeing the ball and. I think you know. You know, you're, when you walk away from that plate, you know if you know that was something I did, or I just wasn't trained properly. I just wasn't, you know, I just didn't have the fundamentals or the muscle memory to do that. Or man, that was they got me, you know. And and, and there's a lot of great players out here, um, but you know, I feel more and more comfortable every time. Where you know, I want to looking forward to putting in the work and seeing where I can get to. You jump, you know, basically from, and I'm sure you've been asked this question already, but you jump basically from you know, Gulf Coast League or AZL level and instructs, all of a sudden you're facing, you know, guys who are in double-A, some with triple-A time. What's, I mean, did it, does it feel like a mass disparity when you think about what you faced in instructs and what you're facing not, out here? Um, or maybe not as so, much you Sometimes, but not all the time. Like that same first day, mm -hmm. I, um, two of the guys I faced are here. Yeah. With us. Melina and Roseboom. So it was like, yay, sometimes I, I think probably the bigger thing is, isn't necessarily the talent level, it's probably just the control. Some pitchers have, that's probably the biggest thing, is just hitting their spots a little differently, which makes you be a little more patient as a hitter too. One of the things that everybody loves to talk about is how much, you know, you learn along with teammates in the AFL as well as guys you play against. Because none of these guys, you know, so many of them will never see each other again in their careers. And um, what's that been like for you? I mean, being in a clubhouse with a bunch of dudes, a bunch of different backgrounds, guys speaking different languages, all that kind of stuff. Who have you kind of been able to bounce stuff off of and learn from? It's been fun. I've talked to a lot of these guys, you know. it's. Um, I mean, we talk all the time there in stretch and outfield and in the clubhouse, just I mean, they'll want to know a lot of different football stories or football questions, and, you know, I'll pick their brain a lot, and, you know, there's a lot of guys that have been, you know, awesome and, and sharing, or, oh, hey, that, you know, it might have been, you know, struck out, but they're like, hey, that was a really good at bat, way to see pitches, blah, 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 and we'll talk through different pitchers that they've seen before, and so, just, honestly, you know, they'll want to, we all have different things that we can bring, right? I have different forms of experience, and they have certain forms of experience that we can share and help each other so yeah so you heard him talk a little bit there about mechanical tweaks and the, the thing about that is you know we talked about it earlier you know trying to get on this rhythm get on this schedule uh it, with somebody like Tebow who hasn't played the game you know at any level in a decade or at any you know game situation in a decade 
you're trying to make those mechanical tweaks to based on what you're seeing while you're also trying to catch up with the pitching while the pitching is also making tweaks to you. So now they know what your approach is. Uh, the more they learn about you, the more they can throw back at you. You know, maybe, you know, you can't hit the curveball. Okay. So they're going to throw you more curveballs. How are you going to tweak back at that? Um, and, but meanwhile, I was trying to catch up to the speed of the game. You know, you hear reports about maybe he can't even catch up to 92 mile an hour fastballs. That's, you know, not a slight against him as an athlete or as a person or anything. But if you're trying to make it in the game of that in the game of baseball, you have to hit a 92 mile an hour fastball. I mean, that's just the way it works. So it's going to be interesting with him kind of going forward, how he's going to use those tweaks in the amount of time he has here in the fall league, which, you know, with every passing day is less and less. Uh, but, but also how is he going to tweak against what guys are the adjustments they're making to him? Um, so we're going to have to watch that going forward. So that brought us to the, uh, the final stretch of our conversation. And, um, the the question that leads into this answer was sort of built off of the back of a, a question that another reporter asked him about, you know, when he was playing football, so much of the discussion was trying to get him to change positions. Why don't you be a tight end? Why don't you be an H back? Why don't you do some sort of hybrid position work? And his explanation fell along the lines of, you know, playing quarterback was something that I wanted to do my entire life because nothing compares to me than, you know, being in the huddle down six with two minutes left and 10 guys looking at me and I have to lead them down the field to win a game. And we'll lead into this final stretch of our conversation with Tim Tebow with me asking the question because Tim kind of jumps in to get the, his answer started before I finished. But my explanation uh, was basically, you know, baseball is not that. Baseball has its dramatic moments. Baseball has its Game 7 of the World Series. It even has its, you know, its Game 5 of the Texas League Finals. It has its big moments. But the vast majority of those are scattered over a massive span of time. The The almost entirely baseball is comprised of innocuous moments. And so that was how I framed this question to Tim Tebow about how you replicate that energy, how you replicate that fire and that love. The thing that drove him most about football, how's he going to find that in baseball? The, the feeling of, you know, you're down six with two minutes left and, and that type of adrenaline, that type of thing you really burn for. The flip side of that is minor league baseball. You know, I mean, if you're if you're on a bus ride to to Jupiter in next July or something like that, and you're coming off a no for four night or whatever, it's like the total antithesis of that in sports because it's just draining and it's that that grind and that grueling sort of stretch. Think, and yeah, but I, I think I think it totally depends that? on who who you are, though, yeah. right? So it's like you, you can get part of it, part of that just going and play picking up flag football with your friends. I mean, you should have seen how intense my turkey bowl was last year. <laughs> Like, I'm not kidding you. Like, that was rivaling any game I've ever been in. And But the the other passion I had was was hitting a baseball, and I love doing it. I love to work at it. I love the, the, the pressure on it. I love the one-on-one battle with the pitcher. It, you know, it's just the mind game, the mental toughness that you have to have when you're 0 for 4 and you're in a bus. Like, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's fun. So flip side of that, defensively then, um, you know, I mean, obviously, because I feel like that's, you know, so many guys' passion is is the same thing, the the chess match of being at the plate and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, defensively, a lot of ground to cover, um, you know, I mean, even just out here, learning that, learning the ropes of that. How do you, um, is it the same sort of thing like you were talking about with facing new pitchers? It's all reps, it's all learning routes, all that kind of stuff. What's the the workload for that? I mean, we're out here every day going through it with uh, with Goody and now Benny and 
Um, and, you know, I feel like um, that'll come seeing it off the bat too, but felt pretty good out there. I mean, you get used to certain ones, maybe if it's hit directly over your head, that's a little different or, you know, so you're figuring out exactly how you're going to turn for certain balls or maybe if it's you didn't see it perfectly, how are you going to put yourself in the right position if you're not sure how it came off the bat. So little things like that. So that wraps up our uh, major AFL spectacular, thanks to, to Tyler. <laughs> the only time you heard my voice is coming in here uh, commentating on the interview. So so also uh, our apologies to all of you listening. Yeah, no. <laughs> you were forced no. in a 20-minute segment. Tyler so did a lot of hard work me. to get those guys, and uh, I, for one, am very appreciative of it. Um, so uh, is, that made this episode so much better. Hopefully it, it will carry over for all of you uh, for the next two weeks. So our thanks to uh, Nick Gordon, Cody Bellinger, and Tim Tebow for joining us this week. Uh, we're going to take a small quick break here and then we're going to get back on the other side with us, the two of us again, uh, with Ben for our weekly segment with him. Well, it's one of the most exciting seasons of the minor league baseball offseason, which is the time when uh, rebrand slash refresh news starts coming around fast and furious. Benjamin Hill joins the show. Hello, Ben. Yeah, so it's it, one of the most exciting seasons of the off season. Of the off season. So this is a sub season of the off season. Yeah, there's like it's the, like uh, reminds me of being in school, like social studies class. And you had to do like an outline of a report and be like the subject, and then A underneath that, right. and then a one underneath that, and exactly. then you keep indenting further and further until you don't have anything on the page. Do you think kids still do that? They're all no, there kids with their don't do pads and their <laughs> and their <laughs> Pokemon goes. Yeah, kids are the worst. We were the best kids. Now kids we are the were. Best. That is true. That is absolutely true. Don't even get me started on teens, man. The worst. The teens and their teenageness. Um, so <laughs> let's get started. It is the. You're alone on that one. I love teens. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna I just take kids. We're teens gonna leave you high teens, and dry man. on that. Teen. I know you really, really left me out of the uh, left me out in the lurch on the teen bashing. Whatever, whatever teens you can tweet at us from your your iPod Nanos. What? Okay. Um, let's just start talking about things before I continue making terrible jokes that no one laughs at that I think are mildly entertaining. Um, it is unveiling season, though. We've got at least four. Are there four teams or five teams now? Well, I, um, Coming up with maybe, new identities. Okay. If you want to dial it back, what teams have announced that they're changing their name? We have uh, the former Brevard County Manatees. No longer exist. Not not in Brevard County anymore. That franchise is moving. So not just a some of these other teams. You know they're sticking around. Same bark, same city, all that. But this is an entirely new, uh, a new look, a new facility for next year. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the one that's happening first. That's going to be revealed on uh, Thursday, Thursday evening. So you might be listening to this podcast right now, just hours before the big reveal. Is that Thursday or Wednesday? You're correct. It is Wednesday. <laughs> I'm losing track of my time. Sooner. I'm sorry. Wednesday at 6 p.m. October 26th at 6 p.m. All will be revealed. So we cannot back the curtain. We cannot talk about it right now, as if we knew. Of course we don't. But yeah, Wednesday. So by the time you are all hearing this on Thursday, you will know. Yes, this is the former Brevard County Manatees have relocated to Kissimmee, uh, Osceola County, where the Astros had their spring training facility, and uh, that team is going to set up shop in that ballpark. Uh, while the Astros have moved their spring training facility elsewhere to share with the Nationals, who used to have a spring training facility in Brevard County, and everything's full circle. So they come up first. The contenders for that 
were, I can't remember all of the contenders for all of these names now, but they were kind of the first. This was one of the earliest um, changes for 2017 that was announced, and they'll be the first one to unveil it. Um, but coming up on the heels of that, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a rash of new identities. Yeah, a veritable rash. So uh, get the ointment out. And uh, we're going to have, uh, well, not a new identity, but if we've talked about this on the show before, um, Lynchburg had a name the team contest, kept Hillcats, their current name, as one of the uh, choices, and then said, you know what, we're just going to stick with the, being the Hillcats. But on Thursday, which may be the day you're listening to this, Thursday, October 27th, the Hillcats will unveil a new, new uh, fresh logo. So they're at least having a semi-new identity. And uh, we got Binghamton. That's going to be a big one. We got that coming up next week, uh, as well as uh, at least four others in, in, the, uh, in the mix over the next couple months. So uh, starting really tomorrow with uh, Florida, the former Brevard County Manatees in Kissimmee, uh, it is uh, rebranding season in full effect. My favorite subseason of the offseason. <laughs> there are many. And just so everybody's kind of on the same page here, I mean, I think we generally know why this is, but just kind of talk us through why now is when naming season kind of begins as as we're getting into, you know, just turning into November and uh, the end of October. Well, enough time has passed since the end of the season for uh, everyone to kind of get their bearings from the previous season, but you wanted this to occur, uh, if at all possible, early in the offseason. Um one, when you rebrand a team, whether it's just a new logo or a whole new identity, uh, you're going to have corresponding merchandise available with that. So doing it now and uh, within the first half of November um, uh, situates you well for you know selling merch right off the bat um, for holiday shopping season. And also, um, you know, as you guys know, as a lot of people who follow minor league baseball know, um, it's not just about a new logo or a new name, often teams, you know, will rebrand. It's all about the identity they create at the ballpark and their marketing efforts and the game day experience. And so that takes a lot of brainstorming um, for marketing, you know, for, you know, potential sponsors for next season, for season ticket plans, uh, just for game day, tic game day tickets, everything else. You really want to have an identity to market to the fans for 2017. Um, so that, that you need to have this done and in place as soon as you can, because it's kind of tough to prepare for next season when the public doesn't know, you know, what you're going to be called or what you look like. So I guess that kind of leads into what my follow-up question was going to be, because I was thinking, you know, for these things, you're always trying to per push merchandise. You're trying to get things off the shelves, all that kind of stuff. So I was thinking, wouldn't it make more sense for it to be early December or, you know, right around Thanksgiving, I guess, uh, right in time for the, the holiday push. But you're saying it takes more time to, to get this stuff on the, you know, stuff inside the stadium on tickets, that kind of thing. That that plays as, just as much a role, if not more. Yeah, I mean, they're all tied together. And by doing it now, you're still well-positioned for the holidays. I don't right. think you're losing anything by waiting until, you know, the, the, the day after Thanksgiving and doing a Black Friday unveil. I think it's kind of, uh, you know, apples and oranges at that point, but it's now's the time to, uh, to get these identities out there and uh, sell some merch and uh, start positioning yourself for the next season in terms of who you are and how you're going to market that. Some of these teams have been teasing. Uh, I know Binghamton and Lynchburg especially have been kind of tweeting out, you know, little screenshots of partial portions of their logos and, you know, very extreme close-ups of things. Do you have an indication? I mean, obviously, Ben 
sort of knows a little bit more than the average person. But do you have if we had to lay out all five Lynchburg accepted because they're keeping the same name? Are we are we going to see a bunch of crazies? I mean, I know that the the vast majority of the, even the selections, um, the names that were in the running for these were pretty outlandish. But uh, do you have a feel of what, you know, a month from now, what we're going to be looking at these as? Yeah, I obviously I know some things. There's a lot of things I don't know. There's nothing that uh, you know I feel comfortable sharing uh, in detail. Obviously, don't want to uh, compromise my uh, esteemed position here as a, a great uh, holder of secrets when uh, that is applicable to the keeper of the yeah. gate. Yeah, the keeper of the gate. But uh, speaking generally, uh, we've seen all the finalists for these team name contests in, in almost all the cases. Um, they are kind of zany by nature, no matter what they pick. We have seen now, you know, in an over five, especially in the last five years, this, um, you know, the pendulum swing just to crazier and crazier uh, over over the years where things like Chihuahuas becomes the norm and Rubber Ducks becomes the norm and Blue Wahoos becomes the norm and so on and so forth. So um, I can definitely say with certainty, that 2016-2017 offseason is not going to see a swing away from those tendencies. And, uh, you know, different teams uh, approach it in different ways. Some will go kind of zanier than others. Almost all will have some sort of local tie-in to justify it. And, um, you know, and they're going to get crushed to a certain extent. These teams know that, uh, you know, especially on social media, especially on Facebook um, and, and within the community. But it's all about, one, you're getting great publicity, and two, um, being able to transfer that anger into acceptance and uh, ultimately, hopefully, you know, love and uh, enjoyment when you take this new team name and make it so much part of your uh, overall game day experience. And we've seen that working for more often than not for years, and that's why it keeps happening. Um, you know, these teams wouldn't be making their fans mad and creating controversy just to do that if this didn't work in the long term. And in most cases, it does. All right, we're we're gonna pivot now to a thing that. It- I think you do most off seasons. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, but um, you know now that we are getting into the kind of time of year where you have a little bit more time to dive into this stuff, it's the kind of like a book club type thing. I know you've, like I said, you've done this in the past. This one, you've got a story coming up on a book by, or by and about uh, FSL president Ken Carson. Uh, what can you tell us about his story and what went into that book? Yeah, well, you know, I've never done a book club for MILB.com, but I kind of like that idea of, uh, you know, having assigned reading and group discussions of (laughs) of minor league baseball books. I I do like that idea. Um, But for years, you know, it hasn't been on a tight schedule, but it's mostly in the offseason. I've written a column called Ben's Bookshelf, and it's just a way to highlight uh, any books, you know, that are about the minor league league baseball in any way, shape, or form. So I'm going to get to one of those this week. Uh, Ken Carson, as uh, Sam mentioned, is the current president of the Florida State League. He has a, uh, a memoir out, a, a pretty uh, quick read, pretty slim volume, uh, self-published. Uh, but he's got an interesting life story. And in a nutshell, he uh, grew up in Canada, um, right you know, near a hockey arena, a junior, a junior hockey team. You know, just kind of a kind of kid who hung out at the arena every day. Uh, eventually graduated from just kind of being all-purpose, you know, skate rat you know, do uh, jack of all trades, Aaron boy into doing some training. Then he became a trainer. Uh, one thing led to another. He was in the AHL. Then the NHL expanded. He became the first trainer in the history of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, he transitioned from that to being the first history, uh, first trainer in the history of the Toronto Blue Jays. And he went from Toronto to Dunedin, to Dunedin, Florida, 
where they have their um, the Blue Jays Spring Training Complex, and he started running that operation for a while, and that eventually transitioned to uh, his current position as the president of the Florida State League. So to go from a kid in Canada working for uh, junior hockey teams to the president of Florida State League <clears throat> is not the kind of career path you'd expect, but you know, for him, it's just been one thing leading to another, and uh, he decided to write a book about it. Ken's, I think, in his mid-70s and you know, has had a full life in sports going back you know, really over 60 years now. So I'm reading that book right now. I'm going to finish it tonight and uh, write a little bit, a little something about it for the site this week. And uh, I, you know, I've always been a big reader ever since I was a kid, you know, back when kids were awesome as opposed to today's kids. <laughs> back when kids read. Yeah, when they read. I read yeah. all the time. So I, I still love reading. And uh, anytime a book comes out about the minor leagues, uh, I like to find other fans who might be interested in reading books about minor league baseball and this uh, world in which we all explore and live in to some extent. And we know that none of those people will be kids. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right with the no reading? No, we're just going to keep you out there. <laughs> um, ben, on the blog now, you're continuing along on uh, the West Coast swing, and you're a little removed from that now. Um, so when you look back, I mean, that was a, a very lengthy trip and you got to stop in, you know, a bunch of different levels and a bunch of different states and a bunch of different leagues and ballparks and see teams and meet some, some interesting characters and stuff. Kind of, how do you look at that, that West coast trip? What still stands out to you about that trip? Yeah, I am still blogging about the season. I'm in the home stretch now. Uh, I know it's, uh, you know, people's attention has shifted elsewhere to a, to a large extent, but, uh, on on the blog, Ben's Biz blog, a lot of great uh, write-ups. I think they're great of um, places I visited, and uh, one of the most recent teams I've written about was San Jose Giants playing Municipal Stadium, a stadium that was built in 1942, um, and one of my favorite stadiums that I've ever been to uh, in terms of all the signage on the concourse and lots of hand-painted murals and kind of goofy, quirky signs, and. Um, you know, just an old stadium with a ingrained history, great front office staff, um, you know, fan base that stretches back generations and just one of those minor league stadiums um, that I hadn't been to before this year where as soon as you get there, you're like, oh, this is definitely a favorite. So it was great being able to relive that experience. I have some stuff up about Visalia today and Vegas coming tomorrow and then uh, Reno shortly thereafter. And then I'm still going to write more about Boise, about the Tri-City Dust Devils and about the Spokane Indians. And then I'm going to be done writing about the 2016 season and I can finally get on with my life and figure out what I'm doing. Okay. That seems like a big plan. Seems like a bold <laughs> plan. But, you know, I believe in you, Ben. Thank you. Thank so you first things it. first, I just need to finish. I need to put the 2016 season Plow through it. books. Plow Do through it. it. I got to say, Ben is really, show. like, has been churning this out the past couple of days. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be switching up. It, it's Every URL is going to be all the same and everything, but we're switching up our platform. Yeah. Blogs coming up. Um, so Ben's getting all that in before we make that switch, and it's been... Kind of interesting just to watch it all fly into our general email inbox while he's turning this out. So uh, check it out if you get a chance, especially if you're on the West Coast uh, in these areas trying to plan you know, your own trip for 2017. Uh, check out San Jose, Visalia, uh, some of the other ones that are, that are up on the blog most recently. Yeah, Modesto, Biz, Sta Sacramento, right. Reno coming up. Yeah, and uh, hey, we're, we're migrating to Medium, a new platform. Yeah, Medium. I got to set up an account for that today. I was told. Yeah, it's a new era. Stuff. A new era in blogging history is coming soon. Um, I believe that is uh, that migration is taking place November eighth, and nothing else is happening in the country that day, so we can really focus. Yeah, on that's blogging. true. That is true. I haven't heard anything about anything that would be going on that day, so it should work out well for all of us. Uh, Ben'sBiz.mlblogs.com is the blog. 
And he is on Twitter at Ben's Biz as well. And you can find all of the latest and greatest from Benjamin Hill there. And keep an eye peeled to that uh, for the, the news coming out of all of these different spots where there will be new team names, new identities. Florida, New Orleans, Lynchburg, not a new name, but a new logo. Binghamton, all kinds of crazy stuff will be coming up over the next couple of weeks. And uh, it's one of the most fun times of the uh, the minor league baseball calendar. So keep an eye on Ben because he'll have all the best information about all of it. And uh, we'll break some of that down next week, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have uh, new identities to talk about next week, without a doubt. And uh, it'll be exciting and it'll be fun. Talk to you next time. I will. I will talk to you, Tyler. Well, as we noted earlier in the show, uh, we actually just lied to you last segment. Again, not next week. The week after, we will return to the podcasting airwaves. Um, so we lied to Ben and we lied to you and I apologize. I apologize profusely for that, but, um, that's, that's, you know, that's what happens on this podcast. We lie to you. Well, no, then we come back and we fact check ourselves. Yeah, true. We try to be straightforward and tell you when when we've been wrong and when we, we've been right, which is hopefully 99% of the time. And, uh, yeah. So here we are correcting ourselves again. That's what we do. Um, but yeah, no, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, there'll be tons to talk about at that point, which will be really good. Uh, especially for the off season, you know, we we run through some dry spells here and there, but uh, in yeah, two we weeks, haven't we'll hit have... one of those like at all yet this year. No, we haven't. Great, I, right? You keep thinking every week, like, oh, well, what is there going to be to talk about? There's always New York All Stars coming up. There's the Fall League. There's you know, been the Major League postseason, all that kind of good stuff. So by the time you know we are talking to you again, there will probably be a World Series champion. So congratulations to the Indians or Cubs. We're going to edit this out in two weeks' time to. Congratulate either of those teams on ending their championship drought. Uh, there will be a Milby winners to discuss. There will be more Oregon All-Stars. All that fun stuff. Going to be loaded. Going to be loaded here. So uh, once again, a big thanks to our guests from this week. You can find Benjamin Hill on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. You can find Nick Gordon at Flash G the Third with the number three in there. Tim Tebow is at Tim Tebow. Cody Bellinger is at Cody underscore Bellinger. And a big thanks to those guys for joining the show this week. And that will do it. Sam is off out of town. I'm off out of the country. We're we're headed all points in between um, and bringing you the best and brightest in the world of minor league baseball coming up in two weeks. Thanks for tuning into the show before the show. We'll talk to you then. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion.
championship team.